I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So it started unbeknownst to me. So once I became a mother and returned to the workplace, I was working for a predominantly male company in a predominantly male industry. It was in the tech auto industry, basically. And um, it was a startup on top of that. So you really can't get more male and more white than that. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) when I returned to the workplace, I had to pump in a bathroom stall and it was a a shared workspace. So it wasn't like I was pumping in a bathroom stall with my colleagues or my coworkers. I was pumping with people who worked all over the building. And it was very uncomfortable. It was inconvenient. It, it made me feel disgusting. It made me feel like I really didn't have um, a sanitary uh, amount of milk to provide to my, my daughter at the time. So I started to become an advocate within the company for mothers. Um, I was one of the few women in the company. I was definitely one of the few black, but I was the only black with a child. And I started to just advocate about having a space, a mother's room, a space where I could pump um, securely um, and that it was my legal right. And I started to research what my rights were as a, a mother in the workplace. And I started to, there's something about motherhood where you nurture your children and you have such empathy for your children that it just becomes magnified and you start to have empathy for others. So that's kind of where I wanted to, I've always been a writer, but I wanted to start to use my voice to correct the situations or at least educate other women and serve as an advocate for other women after that point. And by the time I had my son four years later, I was already writing for Inc. and writing for a few other publications about what it meant to be a millennial in the workplace and why we don't want you to Googleify the office. We just want you to have an office that's inclusive. Uh, so it started unbeknownst to me. It basically started the moment I became a mother eight years ago. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Christine Michelle Carter. Now, here's something about me that you might not know. I love my mom. I love my mom, and I would not be here without my mom. And we so often ignore the amazing influences, the amazing contributions that our moms contribute to the world today. And that's why I love today's guest, because not only is she creating and blazing a path for people to understand just how important moms are, she is essentially educated and connected with so many brands so many companies and so many media outlets to let them know just how millennial generation generation alpha which is which is a very interesting generation these are kids or millennials and generation z can benefit from integrating different voices into the platform we talk about the business of 
millennial moms. We talk about the business of Generation Alpha. We talk about the business of Gen Z. We talk about diversity and inclusion. We talk about how moms can be incorporated more into a workforce, a workforce rather. And we also discuss different ways to ensure that as we niche down, we understand that that's not taking away an opportunity from people. That's actually creating a platform and a, a, an opportunity for more voices. It's a really, really interesting conversation. And I hope that as you listen to this, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are a TCK, whether you are someone in a position of power, these things really settle in and you see how you can play a role in making this world a more inclusive place. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Christine Michelle Carter. Now, featured in the New York Times, Christine Michelle Carter is the number one global voice for working moms, called the Mom of Mom Influencers, the exec inspiring millennial moms, and the voice of millennial moms. That's a lot of monikers for someone <laughs> who's obviously, <laughs> who's obviously an, an inspiration in, the, in, the, in this industry. Christine clarifies misconceptions about working mom consumers for brands and serves as an amplifier of their personal truths. From delivering consumer insights to brand marketing content to helping HR and diversity teams attract and retain these hardworking professionals, Christine works with advertising agencies, research firms, uh, firms rather, and companies to ensure that they are at the forefront of the minds of female consumers. What we're going to be talking about today is what she calls the housework gap and how to have it all in a work-life balance format. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you for having me. And that's it. That's the episode. I can go home now. You said everything. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I, I am fascinated. I do remember uh, the, the time when mom bloggers were such a thing. And I remember yeah. when it started coming out, especially during the, the times where bloggers were the celebrities of the day before you know Instagram influencers. And so right. I'm curious if you could educate us on a day in the life of, I guess, the voice of millennial moms? Gosh, so no two days are the same. I'm not a mom blogger and I'm not a mom influencer, but I do write about moms as consumers and then moms as parents and then moms in the workplace. So uh, it could involve writing a piece for Forbes or another publication or parents, or it could be um, having a book event. I have two books, one for um, children, a children's book for working moms. Basically, it's called Can Mommy Go to Work? Or it could be for my other book, which is Mom AF, which is a book truly for moms. It could mm-hmm. be also um, providing insights to an agency. Um, I often um, sit down with agencies who want to talk about certain categories and how moms view products or view that category. Uh, So no two days are really the the same. I mean, and that's motherhood in itself. So it kind of fits who I'm targeting anyway, because no two days as a mother are the same too. And I can imagine that because my mom, you know, she, she was always a working mom and then she became a stay at home mom for us boys. Cause as we started to travel, she felt like she needed to be there, but she was always finding you know, ways to be busy. And I, I'm from Nigeria and the culture is a little different. And so she was, you know, sometimes she felt guilty with, uh, yeah. with the work-life balance. And also the companies didn't have policies uh, to sort of make it easy to transition back and forth. And my dad was a diplomat, so we'll go back and forth between countries. And when she was transitioning, it, it, you know, to come back, it wasn't the same place that she was. Oftentimes it was maybe even a step back. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious with your insight, uh, what have you noticed with the systems in place? And can you explain what the housework gap is? Sure. And I 
I commend your mother and I respect her very much um, for paving the way so that women of my generation could really fly because there are a lot of women in, in Generation X and baby boomers who were the ones who were leading the working mom charge. And there's a lot of data to support the fact that a lot of millennial moms today are successful and do advocate for working moms and work-life balance because they were raised by mothers who were outside of the home. So those women don't often get the praise that they deserve. So I really applaud your mom. That's a really hard thing to do, especially with multiple children, especially with boys, because I have a boy myself. But um, mm-hmm. so just just to answer your question. So the housework gap is um, it basically exacerbates the gender wage gap, which everybody knows about. Right. So men get paid. Obviously, a white male gets paid more than a woman, especially a minority woman. And it tends to be that minority women, though they're in the workplace and they are in more successful positions in previous years, they're the ones who do have children um, more often than not and are working to um, provide for their family, but also climb the corporate ladder. The housework gap just means basically, unlike men, women tend to take on the daily or weekly tasks like laundry, groceries, cleaning, taking care of the children. That kind of stuff can't be deferred if a woman wants to work late or spend time networking to climb the corporate ladder. Men can do that. Um, a lot of their activities are passive and can be picked up at a later time. So that's a part of, that's the housework gap in, in a nutshell. Wow. Yeah. And, and as you start to popularize it and you go into companies, how has it been received? So it's evident um, there it takes a lot of work to change policies within organizations, especially when you're talking about changing a policy for a uh, minority within an organization. And unfortunately, parents are still considered um, a minority when you think of something like a win or um, an African-American employee resource group, those are prioritized over parents because there's a lot of um, misconception around the fact that millennials just aren't having children. So you kind of have to overcome that barrier with HR first and then have the discussion about, okay, maybe we aren't attracting talent because there are millennial professionals who do want to come to the organization, but just don't feel like there is a future or um, a career there because we don't offer family-friendly policies. Yeah, yeah. And I'm asking this because my daytime job is I run a diverse inclusion firm and I'm always in mm-hmm. these conversations with ERGs. And ERGs, for those listening, are employee resource groups, right? They're, they're usually groups centered around certain affinities, you know, LGBTQ, women, people of color, whatever thing that you can form an affinity for. But they usually act as the the voice and champion for different groups within within a company. And what, what Christine is talking about is, you know, these type of conversations sometimes, you know, they're often had at the lower level and sometimes they're known. But to make sure that policy is in place, things like, um, you know, having longer maternity leave or mother's make, rooms on site or child care on site. There you go. Things like that <clears throat> to make it more inclusive are necessary parts of the 21st century workplace. And we often operate with maybe in the 20th century or 19th century mindset uh, where right. everything seems to be for the able-bodied or the male uh, figure. And, and so I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting to point that out. And so I just wanted to point that out to the audience. Um, huh. So then your career, you started to become known as this, uh, I guess, voice for millennial moms. And you've written about it and you've become essentially synonymous with the the concept of what a millennial mom is. I'm curious if you could take it. Yeah. I'm curious <laughs> if you could take us back to the very, very point where you knew 
that you were embarking on a journey for millions of people? Because I am always curious about the story behind the story. How did it all start for you? So it started unbeknownst to me. So once I became a mother and returned to the workplace, I was working for a predominantly male company in a predominantly male industry. It was in the tech auto industry, basically. And um, it was a startup on top of that. So you really can't get more male and more white than that. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) when I returned to the workplace, I had to pump in a bathroom stall and it was a, a shared workspace. So it wasn't like I was pumping in a bathroom stall with my colleagues or my coworkers. I was pumping with people who worked all over the building. And it was very uncomfortable. It was inconvenient. It, it made me feel disgusting. It made me feel like I really didn't have um, a sanitary um, amount of milk to provide to my, my daughter at the time. So I started to become an advocate within the company for mothers. Um, I was one of the few women in the company. I was definitely one of the few Black, but I was the only Black with a child. And I started to just advocate about having a space, a mother's room, a space where I could pump um, securely um, and that it was my legal right. And I started to research what my rights were as a, a mother in the workplace. And I started to, there's something about motherhood where you nurture your children and you have such empathy for your children that it just becomes magnified and you start to have empathy for others. So that's kind of where I wanted to, I've always been a writer, but I wanted to start to use my voice to correct the situations or at least educate other women and serve as an advocate for other women after that point. And by the time I had my son four years later, I was already writing for Inc. and writing for a few other publications about what it meant to be a millennial in the workplace and why we don't want you to Googleify the office. We just want you to have an office that's inclusive. Uh, so it started unbeknownst to me. It basically started the moment I became a mother eight years ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And it's it's so interesting, isn't it, when you actually use your your pain or your problem to become a solution for others. And I, yeah. I, I think that's essentially what entrepreneurship is. It's solving problems in in a way that uh, other people don't have to go through the same thing you might have had to go through, you might have had to go through rather. And uh, when you serve as an amplifier for people's personal truths, there there's this certain burden that sometimes that one feels whether it's earned or unearned. And I, I'm wondering then, how do you then find that work-life balance? Because you're also a big proponent of having it all. So how do you then create this work-life balance for yourself where you have a good peace of mind with your internal health and then, you know, you're showing up for your kids as well as, yeah. you know, being an influencer? Yeah. And it's I just want to go back to you saying that um, entrepreneurship is the definition of it is solving a pain point. I think that that's what innovation is. There are so many people who are entrepreneurs, but quite few innovators on the planet left. And I like to yeah. think that that is what innovation is when you can take your pain and, and, and recognize that it's a pain that others might have and, and create something for the, for the better of our society. But um, I, I don't believe in having it all. I don't believe in work-life balance. I always say that to have it all for a mother to have it all is to go to the store and buy a bottle of all detergent. <laughs> <laughs> There is no perfect work-life balance. There are times when I'm not spending as much time with my kids because I am working or traveling for work. And there are times when I'm taking a week off from work because I need to walk away from the company, recharge, 
practice self-care and then have time with my children. It really does. It's like the scales of justice. It ebbs and flows. And it truly takes a village to raise a child. And there's, even though we're in the era of social media, it's so unfortunate because today's mom is really so isolated and alone and depressed and really feels like no one understands their pain. And thank God for mom tribes and how they're in honest parenting and how that hashtag and communities are bubbling to the surface more now because we are starting to realize that it does take a village to raise a child and you need to reach out and say, I need help. And that help needs to come from your employer with better policies. It needs to come from your family and friends and supporting you and sometimes picking up a child for you or um, maybe watching a child for a weekend while you recharge. And I think that that is what helps you to balance a little bit. But um, will you have it 24 seven? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good to paint the picture because I, I, I think when people talk about work-life balance, they often use this um, one-dimensional approach to talk about it. And I just think it depends on the, the person and the circumstance. You know, people, different families and different couples and different uh, people have different sensibilities and different values. And once you determine what your values are, it's a matter that's of right. figuring out, yeah, you know, which days, which days work and which, you know, <laughs> what you're going to prioritize. Um, but okay, that's interesting. I guess the thing that I wanted to also get out there is the mental health aspect, because you talk about maternal mental health. What's yeah. the difference with maternal mental health and mental health? So <clears throat> there's so much that mothers have to deal with. Um, it's not just your mental health that you're concerned about, obviously. Um, mothers have um, a tendency to have, they are more subject to having anxiety and depression because they are responsible for someone else. So it's quite important to preserve um, the mental health of mothers, to, in my opinion, because it just affects so many more people. Um, it affects children and, and how they are raised within the world. Um, it, 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 it's affected by their job and their ability to work remote or work flexibly. So for example, if a mom does have a flexible job, that impacts not only the amount of time that they spend with their child. So being able to build that bond and put them in a better place mentally, but it also affects their finances, their stress levels, which is directly related to maternal mental health and their overall quality of life. So maternal mental health and the workplace, they, they really do go hand in hand and affect one another. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now in, uh, in terms of what we see as we go into the next decade, right? This is 2020. Everybody's talking about, wow, it's, it's the, it's the second decade of, of the 2000, 2010s or we're going to 2020s. I'm yeah. uh, interested. The roaring 20s. <laughs> yeah. The roaring 20s. I'm interested in the trends that you're seeing because I have heard the same thing you've, you've said where millennials and Gen Zers are probably going to have less babies. And that seems to be a narrative. I don't know if that's a myth or not. You've indicated that it might not be as true as people, uh, you know, say it is. I don't but... think it's a, the dire situation like Handmaid's Tale that people like to think. It is. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I, I do hear it a lot. People are like you marry later. You, the kids are not as there. There's finances. Yeah. Um, people are staying at home. Uh, different, you know, all these different. I hear all these things. But what are the trends that you're seeing with? you know, either stay at home moms or, you know, uh, just understanding how working parents are going to be in the future. Will there be more equality? Will there be more roles where fathers play a, a role in the workplace mm -hmm. as well? Uh, I'm just curious about those trends and then we'll go on to the business side of things. 
Yeah. So I think as more millennials start to settle into management and executive roles, you'll see diversity with le- within leadership increase. You'll start to see how millennials, when we were younger, we had a really, I'm not going for that mentality. You'll start to see that bubble to the surface again as we hold leadership roles and we'll start to help companies make ethical and sustainable business decisions and focus on profit second. Um, I also think that you'll start to see a lot more advocates and sponsors from Generation X for us, which is nice. I think that um, the OK Boomer trend is maybe starting to show uh, uh, baby boomers that millennials aren't all that bad because Generation Z is actually driving that trend while we're sitting back and kind of laughing at the two of them going back and forth. Right. So you might start to see them be advocates and sponsors for us with uh, within leadership positions, too. I think that you'll start to see com- more companies adopt for working parents, more frequent feedback, more pulse checks, um, uh, the the ability to allow us to pivot and adopt more in our role. I was on a another podcast and I was talking about how the opportunity for job sharing can pop up for us more, which is um, quite interesting to me. And the fact that it's the opportunity to maybe partner with somebody within the organization where you'd like to learn a different line function or a different. De- hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Department so that you can excel your career. Um, that's going to take a lot of work. And I think that that's very future thinking. But I, I definitely see um, with the rise of the gig economy and flexible work, how job sharing could pop bubble to the surface. too. Yeah, job sharing for sure. Yeah. Um, especially in, in the, the, you know, with the apps and now everybody is basically digital, essentially yeah. flexibility of the workplaces. Uh, it's interesting. Do you think that there's going to be a role where people can work more at home as opposed to staying in the workplace? Oh, absolutely. And millennial moms are prime for that um, just because of their ability to work independently, their their ability to multitask, all of those different things. And there's a wonderful organization called Flex Jobs who always provides the most up-to-date reports about flexible work and how it affects millennial moms and how they tend to be the cohort that over-indexes with flexible work and remote work. So, you know, flexible work, I've been writing about that with regards to millennial moms for years now, and it's only increasing. So I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. Mm. Okay. Okay. Now, business side of things. The other thing that you do is is work with agencies and research firms and companies to ensure that they are the forefront in the minds of female consumers. What do female consumers want? 
not to be talked to as if we are perfect moms or trying to achieve perfection. So whenever I see a commercial with a mom who's got like perfect makeup and perfect hair and her kids are laughing and playing and they're smiling, I'm always like some man, some white man made this commercial (laughs) (laughs) because this is not what motherhood is. And I think that one company that does a great job of portraying what motherhood really is and the fact that we are not trying to live in these colonial style homes. And sometimes we do prefer to live in an apartment if that allows us the freedom to travel with our kids and enrich their lives and provide them with experience is Procter and Gamble. And they do such a good job with that with loves, for example, they really are probably best in class and thought leaders when it comes to marketing to millennial and Gen Z because Gen Z are parents now too. Thank you, Kylie Jenner. Um, their oh, moms gosh. too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, true. You're right. <laughs> <I've> yeah. Not... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. So it's really an old school mentality that financial wealth equals freedom and happiness. And it's a lot of brains that still um, portray families in that colonial style home with two cars in the garage that cost well over $40,000 and the kids are going off to private school. That's not what motherhood as a millennial is anymore. It's about uh, being depressed. It's about suffering from anxiety. It's about sometimes not having a two-parent household. It's about the fact that we live in a racially charged and politically charged environment. And these are, it's about toxic masculinity. It's about a bunch of different things. And, and Procter and & Gamble, with many of their brands, does a great job of showing what real life parenting looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to even uh, drill down further, the kids of Kylie Jenner are what you call generation gener- alpha. I generation. write about them too. Right. Exactly. Too. Yes. <laughs> and that, that's where I was going with that. So you talked just about, you know, making sure you're not talking to, uh, you know, you're not talking at the women you're making, you're humanizing them essentially. And you are understanding right. diversity of women, but then how do you understand generation alpha? I mean, are they even 13 yet? How, how do you, no. <laughs> no. how do you know, how do you even know how to understand them? So curious, because that's like you said, something else you write about. Yeah. So Generation Alpha is anybody born after 2010. So both of my kids are Generation Alpha. Women's Wear Daily actually picked up some stats that I did to talk about Northwest because she's Generation Alpha. Most of the celebrity kids nowadays that you really see a lot, like John Legend and Chrissy Teigen's kids are Generation Alpha. Beyonce's children are Generation Alpha. The biggest thing about Generation Alpha is that they are just like their millennial parents. And I wrote an article for Forbes about the obsessive relationship between Generation Alpha and and millennials. And there is no greater bond in parenting uh, because millennials tend to place such a high value on parenting. And, and put and call it very much a part of their identity. So their children, um, that's why you've seen the rise of mommy and me attire and, and, you know, how Beyonce always dresses. She used to dress Blue Ivy like how she did and Kylie Jenner dresses her her child. That's that's that bond that almost this is a little version of me and I want the world to see my trophy. And the kids are picking up on that. They have the same um, they are more technologically savvy at eight years old than their millennial parents. They um, are more influential in spending. They have their own identities. They have they have independence to be only nine years old and under. And they're not they're vocal. They're not afraid to use their voices too. So um, it's almost like many millennials walking around. So I mean, for better or for worse, God help us. <laughs> no, I mean, I was just I was just looking at uh, Dwayne Wade's son. Right, the he came out uh, pretty early. 
And mm-hmm. and Dwayne Wade was dealing with some backlash because uh, his son had put on some nails and he was defending his son. But his son, I think his son is right around maybe nine or so. I'm not, sh- okay. not sure. But around the gen- uh, Generation Alpha consumer and he knows who he is. And it's interesting seeing how that's becoming uh, that's defining a lot of the market uh, and the businesses that are, that are market towards them. You know, he, he for example, is someone that could have a, an Internet page and it could blow up to a million, a million followers. And yeah. if you look at the TikTok, which is another uh, TikTok yes. uh, generation, that's just all. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of Gen Zers there, but they're also just just generation alpha consumers. That's who, right. Yeah. Who look at YouTubers as their source yes. of influencers. That's and absolutely so, right. Yeah. Some of these influencers are 19, right? And so, you know, some of these influencers are seven. Try oh, that. Or, or well, there you go. Seven. when you and think so, about Ryan, um, who has Ryan's toy review and, and how oh, he's yeah, managed sure. a Nickelodeon deal and how he's got his own licensing or Jojo Siwa, who's only 16 years old, 16 or 17 years old. And, and the amount that she's already um, uh, con- she's already um, earned from you know touring and CDs and it's and all because she was on a reality TV show these children it, to market to generation alpha consumers it's no longer one size fits all these kids are hyper niche hyper hyper yeah. niche yeah. I mean like if imagine if you were trying to attract children who were like um, Dwayne Wade's son. You know, you'd have to think about children who were struggling with their identity, who were exactly. nine or ten years old, who were black and male. Like, how niche is that? You wouldn't be thinking about that twenty years ago. No, no, not at all. I mean, you would have been doing a blanket <laughs> ad. You would have bought a, you know, an ad space. And right, I think I'll that that was Jordans. <laughs> exactly, and, and that's so fascinating because. I, you know, as both of us are in the diversity and inclusion field, I, I always like to define diversity as connecting the, vis- uh, the visible to the invisible. And the interesting thing about the way diversity and inclusion has been that has been done in marketing that really frustrates me is that people do this monolithical ad thing where you're Latino, yeah. this is it. You're black, this is that. You're Asian, this is that. And they forget about the intersectionalism that exists within different, I you know, ethnic. Uh, ethnicities or ethnic groups yeah. and it's it's fascinating how the younger the generations go the more niche they are about their voices and i've noticed brands becoming terrified by these niche movements because if you like because it's they a, don't know what's it, they can't turn the ship they can't turn the ship that fast and these consumers are also owning their own content yes and they're almost owning how the brands should tell the story and they can't, the brands can't decide if it makes business sense to turn the ship towards the way that the consumers are telling the story or if they should continue to try and tell the story when in reality they should focus on how the consumers are telling the story. It's not, it's no different in advertising than in other categories too. So to give you an example, when I was writing mom AF, I was, um, we were pitching to different publishers and no publishers could wrap their mind around the fact that it was, where would, where would it sit on shelf? Would it be a black book that's set with I'm judging you and the misadventures of awkward black girls? And would it sit with other slavery books because I was black? But it also, it couldn't sit with moms because I was black. It couldn't sit with um, a scary mommy or other mom parenting books because I wasn't given advice. Nobody could understand what it meant 
to be black and to be a mom and to write a book from that perspective. But if you looked at some of my colleagues on shelf who were white women and they were able to do that, they were a dime a dozen for those kind of books. So yeah. it was easier for me to control the story and publish through a, an independent publisher and to have my audience receive the book than to try and go the traditional route. And that's exactly how our society is moving. I love it. I love it. Uh, this is this is going to be fascinating to see how brands adapt to this because um, it's just going to change the way people consume things. I, I I don't know. I know you follow the YouTube space, but this whole boxing match, for example, with uh, you know I, one of the Pauls, one of the Paul brothers, and uh, um, Deji, I one of the, I can't remember his name, but there was a big boxing match where they essentially each earned about a million dollars, and mm-hmm. it was seen it was t- picked up by one of the boxing platforms and it was the prize fight ahead of professional boxers people were buying to watch these not even amateur boxers these are youtubers wow. that had a fake beef <laughs> or a real beef oh, wow. I, I don't i don't know if it's real or fake it seems like it, it got real and they they marketed the same way and people were buying that now i know with the boxing the sweet science people have wondered is it dead is it back is it back up it's dead is it back up for someone who is not a boxer to be able to get that much and generate that much uh, celebrity or uh, notoriety with, with a not with a with a, with a belt or the belt that includes professional boxers, I thought that that was fascinating, and I was very curious about what that actually meant for any brand because it's not just with um, you know Madison Avenue and advertising; it's with sports, it's with anything. It's like yeah. if you can create an audience especially a niche one that enough people love across different generations and you partner up with the right type of person and then you know you you put an ad wall or paywall behind it there will be people that will subscribe it's just there absolutely will be people with who will subscribe and that that's called branded content and that's where we're headed where influencers are no longer of interest to folks but it's the branded content that a uh, a company can provide to make it look as if it's not an ad. You know, that that's that's exactly where we're headed to your point. If you can find somebody who can help you produce branded content that is um that doesn't look like an ad, then yeah, it's going to get a really strong response because people are a little bit sick of influencers. They're sick of macro um, influencers, which would be celebrities. Um, they they really want authenticity. They want an emotional connection. And if you can do branded content that has an emotional connection with a, with a nano influencer, but nobody knows that it's a nano influencer, then that's where, that's the name of the game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What does that mean for uh, people of color though? What do you think? Do you think we can take more agency in our, in our content and our brands? Do you think there's hope or do you think it's going to be cannibalized by uh, different uh, people who want to systemize, you know, oppression or discrimination? I think, I think that there's hope. I think there's opportunity because I think that there is a lot more data and a lot more insights that exist today than in marketing and advertising 20 years ago. And I think it's becoming, you know, I'm certainly trying to use my voice to tell the story, but I think it's becoming more commonplace knowledge that when it comes to people of color, especially black people, especially black women, they over-index on social media. So they have a very strong influence and then they over-index in creating trends. You know, the Kardashians would probably be just five white girls and a guy in California if it wasn't for the fact that they were adopting so many trends from different um, cultures. 
So I think that a lot more companies are, are paying attention to the fact that minorities drive trends, which then drives sales, um, which is a wonderful thing because that didn't exist 20 years ago. It was kind of like that was stolen and you there was no outlet for minorities to talk about the fact that it was stolen or to show an example of where it originated. Look at the example of Dapper Dan and Gucci and how it turned into him having a role within the within the company. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain that to people? I, I know the story, but I don't think a lot of people uh, know the full story. Yeah. So um, Gucci recently did a campaign or maybe when I say recently within the past couple of years. Right. right. Where they had basically all but copied um, a design that a, a gentleman in New York named Dapper Dan had created back in the 80s for a lot of rappers and black professionals and black celebrities. And um, basically black Twitter got a hold of it and being the behemoth that black Twitter is, you look at the Popeye's $25 million um, chicken sandwich, the, the behemoth that black Twitter is called Gucci out for it. Yes. The gentleman was using, you know, he didn't have the license to adapt what uh, Gucci had done back in the eighties, but there was no doubt that he was talented and this was his work that they had copied. So because he, they were called out so bad, they ended up having to bring him in to have a seat at the table. And he has definitely used that seat at the table for positive um, change within that company. Wow. Yeah, no. And, and I remember watching him on the breakfast club and him just talking about his story. Cause he's, he has quite the story. It's, just interesting to see how brands have come to realize that they do need influencers more than they thought uh, they yeah. did before. And even more so uh, to promote, to promote authenticity, just because people, people identify less with a brand now, as opposed to a person that sort of represents a brand. And it's the story behind that person. And they, you know, someone that represents their struggle or that represents who they, who they are is usually someone they can sell anything. And even with all these streaming platforms, I'm noticing how people are marketing those things. It's like, oh, I love, I love Hillary Duff, who is from Lizzie McGuire fame, but she's also become this influencer who is a mom and talks about being, a, she's actually a millennial mom, right? So she talks yeah. about all these things. And then based on how she builds her brand, people are like, okay, well, let's do a reboot. And then, you know, all these things start to come based on that. And you start to take her fans, which my gener, I guess our generation was when Liz McGuire yeah. was on. And then people that are younger are like, well, I like her for this and she's on this other show. Let's, let's get there. And you're understanding that there's power in that. And it's, it's, uh, it's very, very strategic. Disney does this a lot with their content. Uh, yeah. and, and it's, it's interesting to see media play that. Okay. Wow. Uh, Wow. I mean, I, I'm so just, this stuff really fascinates me. So I'm always going <laughs> to, um, uh, well, but as, as we're wrapping up here, I'm curious about your particular career. Where do you see yourself going? Do you see yourself writing more books or do you see yourself doing more? Um, yeah. So speaking? I see, I see myself writing more books in the, in the immediate future, we are looking, um, we're coming on black history month and women's history month. So there are a few different organizations that I'll be speaking at about imposter syndrome and summit syndrome and burnout and how that affects mothers and how it affects women. And then um, giving some insights for different companies about how black consumers can save brands. And um, 
Uh, I also, in October, um, we have National Working Family Month. So my I'll be talking about what it means to be a mom in the workplace then too. And most likely um, just promoting Can Mommy Go to Work? And there are a few companies that usually buy that in bulk. So um, a lot of tech companies are progressive in the parenting EAG space. So yes. ERG space. So um, that I, I do plan to do a sequel to Mom AF because it's been so well received. And then again, just continuing to write, continuing to speak at different companies and different conferences and continuing to raise the two cutest kids on the planet. I am millennial and they are generation alpha. So I said it. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, where, where, where can we find out more about your stuff and more about your work and your upcoming projects? Sure. Uh, ChristineMichelleCarter.com or on Twitter and Instagram at CMichelleCarter. Okay. Okay. Now, the last question I always ask my guests is this. It's basically my mission statement referring as a question, and it's how do you, Christine, use your difference to make a difference? Um, I use the difference in my skin and my gender uh, to make a difference for the lives of people who look like me. And that's yeah. through my writing and my speaking. Yeah, you just you use your voice, and by using that's your right. voice, you're amplifying just the, the the you know the people that you represent, and you're giving them confidence uh, to to come out. But you're also showing brands that you know it's not there's not just one way to market to people. That's, that's incredible. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really I'm really um, honored and excited that you were able to take the time to to come on the show to talk about this because. I, you know, I don't think people really understand the buying power that women have, women of color have, and millennials have. I think sometimes it's it's misconstrued, and you, you've done a great job of talking about it from the business side internally and externally. So thank you for thank that. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed having this discussion with you. You're definitely one of the more knowledgeable folks <laughs> about diversity and inclusion. Obviously, it shows that it's your background. So it was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Ah, thank you so much. That That's really high praise. I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm humbled by that. But uh, I, I hope this isn't our last discussion. But I was going to say, please stay in touch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll put everything in the show notes. And um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show. Absolutely, Tao. Take care. Take care. Ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 